So we're starting a brand new series today, and I'm excited about this. But I don't care who you are or where you're at on that spiritual continuum that we have been talking about. So maybe you're over here and you say, you know, I've been following Christ for 30 years. Read. I've been really faithful. Maybe you just came to faith last Sunday. Let me tell you something. Listen to this. 39 people placed their faith, that we're aware of, placed their faith in Jesus Christ last Sunday morning at Easter. Online and on Channel 2. That's awesome. Come on, somebody. I'm, I'm, you need to amen. I can't hear you, but just amen in the comments or something. That, that's incredible. 39 people. 39 people went from death to life, and on Resurrection Sunday, they experienced a resurrection of their own. Come on! I'm excited about that. So maybe that's you. You just came to faith. Maybe you're just checking this whole thing out, or you're coming back to church for the first time in a long time. Or maybe you just happen to stumble across this on Facebook. You have no relationship with God, but you just happen to tune in right at this point in the sermon. Wherever you are, here's what I'd love for you to imagine just for a second. Is what it would look like... Again, just humor me. What would it look like if I firmly believe, I had a complete confidence, if I trusted in three things? That number one, God is real. That number two, God is a personal God that wants a relationship with you. And number three is that God is for you and he's with you. In fact, the Bible says that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. What if you believe those three things? I mean, had total confidence in that. That God's your real that you're personal, that you want a relationship with me, and that you're with me and you're for me. And that you're going with me throughout the day, that you're always beside me and in me, the Bible says. What if you firmly believe that and you had just this confidence? I'm telling you, your whole life would be different. You would have something bad happen. I mean, come on, coronavirus, it wouldn't even affect you. You'd be like, you know what, yeah, it's not great. It's not great for our world. It's not great for our economy. It's not great for the healthcare system, but I'm okay. I just trust in God. I just trust God. through. doesn't matter what life throws at you. You just trust the Lord. Or you have this huge temptation, and you're like, yeah, that, that looks good. The lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end, I know what she leads to. She's bitter as gall. She is sharp as a double-edged sword. Her steps lead to the grave. I'm not interested. I know that God's got something better for me. I just trust God. It looks better than that. And that looks good. This looks better. Or even if something good happens. Sometimes good things happen to people. You fall into some money. or Just something good happens and it blows you off course. You ever met anybody like that? I've got some friends like that that I see them in church. When things get rough, and then when things kind of smooth out, they just disappear. And then life gets rough again, and I see them again. <laughs> like, but even when things get going well, you're just like, no, I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I'm a child of the Most High King. Like, there's nothing that's going to cause me to waver. Imagine if that was you. You just trusted God. You didn't have any fear. You didn't have any of fears, cousins, anxiety, worry, stress. You just, I just trust Him. You ever met anybody like that? A lot of us had a mama or a grandmama like that. Oh, baby, we just got to trust the Lord. Right? Your grandma, like you're trying to like instill your own doubt into her. You're like, have you watched the news? And she's like, baby, we just got to just trust Jesus. But coronavirus, it's everywhere. We don't even know what it looks like. It could be on your hand. Oh, baby, it's okay. It's okay, baby. You're like, right? Just, you just, right? <laughs> you, you just want to punch him in the throat. Like, why don't you have some doubt? Well, here's the cool thing, is that in Matthew 8, 
I showed you this uh, March 15th. I did a, ser- a, a sermon, a one-time sermon called No Fear. And if you didn't miss, if you missed that sermon, I want you to go back and I want you to watch it on Facebook. Or you can listen to it on our website, colonialhill.org, or on iTunes or Google Play if that's where you get your podcast. But this is a great verse out of Matthew chapter 8. It says, Then Jesus got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. Okay, that's a little nerve-wracking. <laughs> like the, these guys, these disciples, before they became disciples, most of them were fishermen. And they knew how to navigate these seas, but it's even messing them up a little bit. I mean, the water's coming into the boat, and Jesus is taking a nap. <laughs> He's sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? So I want you to notice the parallelism between faith and fear. He goes, you have little faith, that's why you're so afraid. Translation, if you had big faith, if you had some deep faith, you'd have no fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. Faith is the opposite of fear. Faith is the opposite. He says, I want to establish in you this confidence, this trust, this faith. So it doesn't matter what happens on our planet, you have no fear. And as somebody who loves the fire out of you, and many of you I've I've talked to on FaceTime and on Zoom and on phone calls and chats and every which way but in person pretty much over the last four weeks, five weeks. And many of you are scared. There's a lot of trepidation, and I understand it, but I believe that faith is the opposite of fear. So here's what I want to do, is over the next three weeks, I want to grow your faith so that we can diminish your fear. Are you with me? Do you trust me? I love you. I want to help you. Okay, so we're going to grow some faith, and that's what God's been trying to do in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We continually see a God who's trying to establish some big faith in some people. He wants you to have this over-the-top, out-of-the-box, extraordinary faith kind of confidence in him. That's what he wants to establish in you. Why? Why is he trying to do that? The, the reason he's trying to do that is because in the very beginning, with Adam and Eve, the thing that separated God from mankind wasn't disobedience. Listen to me. It wasn't disobedience. It was a lack of trust. Like God tells Adam and Eve, hey, you don't have any rules. You have one rule. Don't eat of that tree. Everything else is yours. And then Adam and Eve began to think about that temptation of what happens when I eat that tree. Maybe God's trying to keep something good from me. Maybe he doesn't know what's best for me. And so it wasn't disobedience that separated God and man. It was a lack of trust that what he said was was right. And so since that break, since that chasm was created between God and mankind in the Old Testament and into the New Testament, that's exactly what God is trying to restore, the thing that was lost, your trust, your complete confidence, your faith, because he said, I know faith will establish you no fear. I want you to have big, deep faith, church. That's what he wants us to have. Think about Israel. When when the nation of Israel, it was created to show the world what it looks like to have a relationship with God. And the first thing that he did with the nation of Israel was not give them Ten Commandments. Go back and read the Torah. When he's given them, it's not to give them the Ten Commandments. The first thing he does is he reaches into Egypt and he delivers them from slavery. And they're like, wow, you're awesome. You're so amazing. Thank you, God. And then he says, hey, let me tell you how to live your life. 
But he didn't tell them to live their life because he wanted a relationship. He told them how to live their life because they already had one. The relationship preceded the law. And in the New Testament, we see Jesus come onto the scene and does the same thing. He doesn't say, hey, here's ten more commandments. No, he goes, hey, I just want to love you, and I want to reestablish the relationship. It's all about trust. It's all about a confidence in God. It's all about faith, deep, big faith. And it's initiated through this act of trust, just like God and mankind lost that because of a lack of trust. The break happened in the beginning because of a lack of trust. When you look at any relationship that has any merit, it's characterized by trust, every single one of them. My relationship with my wife, Reed, have you talked to your wife today? Yeah, we texted this morning. But you haven't talked to her in the last couple of hours? No. Aren't you concerned with wh what she's doing, where she's at? I think she's at home. I just trust she's doing what she should be doing. Well, does she trust you? I, I, I'd hope so, yeah. There's trust there. Well, your son hasn't called. It's 10 o'clock at night. I trust him. I just trust he's doing what he told me he was going to be doing. Why is she late for work? Why is he late for work? Well, I just trust they had a good reason. They're a good employee. They work hard. I'm sure there was something important that came up, and that's why they're running behind. Again, trust characterizes any healthy relationship. And God said, I want you to have a healthy relationship. I want you to gnosko me, to have a closeness, but closeness is characterized by trust. By this dependence, by this, by this faith, this big faith. Even people that I've met that are, that are kind of far from God, or maybe they're just kind of checking the whole thing out. So by the way, last week, you know, we had the A, B, C, D, A. I've already committed my life to Jesus. B, I'm believing Jesus for the first time today. 39 of you, wow. Uh, we had a handful that said, I'm, I'm still C, I'm still considering this whole thing. I'm not sure if I want to jump in yet and say I'm giving my life to Jesus. I still want some more time to figure out what God wants for my life. Thank you, by the way, for tuning back in on a non-Easter Sunday. God bless you. Um, I love that answer. I love it. But I, I, I talk to those people and I say, you know, what is it for you? It's not an obedience thing. It's not that they have an issue with obeying God. It's a trust issue. I, I just don't know if I'm there yet. What's not there yet? The trust I don't know if I can fully trust God with my life and give him, surrender that to him. Trust is a big thing, and God's been trying to reestablish that. He wants to get you to a point where you say, I just, I just trust you. I don't understand why you do what you do sometimes. You don't always answer every single prayer request that I give you. A lot of times you're confusing, and you don't, let my life go the way I like it to go, but I, I just trust you. I just trust you. That you know the plan that you have for me, and it's a better plan than I can have. And even when I'm praying for something, you're saying no to that because you've got a better plan. I just trust you. I love Shark Tank. It's one of my favorite shows. I watch it religiously. Uh, <laughs> I watch reruns. The reruns come on CNBC, and so I'll watch reruns and I'll watch new episodes. Shark Tank, 
if you're not familiar, you've been under a rock, but uh, it's Mark Cuban and Mr. Wonderful and all these great billionaires that listen to these up-and-coming entrepreneurs, and they share their invention ideas. And I have bought many Shark Tank products. I'm one of their biggest uh, <laughs> advocates. I'm buying things. I love watching infomercials. I do. I'll stay up late and watch an infomercial. I'm the proud owner of the Bullet Magic Blender. Uh, of Instahang and a set of knives that cut through a shoe. Okay, I own all those things. I love new things that solve m- small problems in my life. I didn't have any knives that cut shoes. Now I do. So, so <laughs> I love these things. But I, I started thinking about inventors. And, and if you invent things and you create things, what would it take for the invention to impress the inventor? What would it take for the creation to make the creator marvel? Right? You think the Wright brothers ever sat back and go, wow, look at that engine-powered plane. Think Steve Jobs ever marveled at a MacBook? Like, I think it would take something pretty extraordinary for the creation to really wow the creator. That's exactly what happened in a couple of texts of Scripture that I want to show you today where Jesus Christ himself, the creator, we know that because all things were created by him and for him, Colossians tells us. And John 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's talking about Jesus. He created everything that you see. And there's been a couple instances where he was impressed and wowed and amazed by something or someone he created. I want to show it to you. This is Matthew chapter 8. Beginning in verse 1, it says, When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him. So leprosy was this highly communicable skin disease. And much like COVID-19, if you got leprosy, you were quarantined. And the only people you could do life with were other people that had leprosy. So if, you're, if you got it and your family didn't have it, you lost your family, you lost your friends, you lost your place of business. And a lot of times, because it was a skin disease, you would lose the end of your nose and the end of your toes and your fingers and those kinds of things. So you'd be quarantined. So this man with leprosy sees Jesus and he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. In other words, I don't know if you're willing, but I believe you can do it. What faith, deep faith. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I love that. That's a sermon within the sermon, but I love that he touched him. He didn't heal him with the word, and he could have done that. He'd done that before, but he just heals him with a touch, a man who had not been touched since he contracted leprosy. He said, I'm willing. Be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. And then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So in order for that leprous man to be uh, reintroduced into society and, and rejoin his family, he had to show himself to the priest, and the priest would have to declare him clean. Because don't tell anybody, just go tell the priest. Go show the priest so you can be with your family again. And when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Now, centurion was a Roman official, a Roman soldier, who had a hundred men assigned to him. Those men would do whatever he asked them to do. And the Roman authority, let me just be honest with you, they, they were kind of the bad guys. <laughs> they were invaders. They enforced the taxes. Uh, they might come into a community and say, hey, you're coming with me, and you might never see that person again. They were not good people, not favorably looked upon by the Jewish people. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. To which the disciples are probably thinking, good. 
I hope he dies and all 99 of his friends and you, right? That's probably what they're thinking. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Again, pretty big faith. He goes, hey, I I don't need you to come. I know, I've seen you. I've seen what you can do. And I believe that you can just say the word and eight blocks away, my servant will be healed. It's pretty big faith. He goes, for I myself am a man under authority. With soldiers under me, I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. So here's what the centurion is saying in this moment. He's saying, listen, I'm a man under authority, and I recognize a man who's under authority. I tell this one to go. Guard that place, and if you fall asleep, I'll kill you. And he goes. I tell that one, go get me some lunch, and he goes and gets me some lunch. I have these guys, I say, follow me, and they follow me. I have men who take my orders, and I have my authority from Rome. And Jesus, I've watched you. (laughs) Disease, you, you have control over disease. Illness has to obey you. And you're getting your authority from somewhere. And I, I understand, I'm a man of authority. I understand a man of authority. You have this authority that's given you power over sickness. And so I don't even think you have to go visit my, my man. I, I just want you to say the word and he'll be healed. That's what he's saying. That's what Centurion is saying in this moment. And look at the next verse. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. I love that. He's amazed. Jesus is amazed. And said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such deep, big, great Notice this person, he was not impressed with their obedience. Wow, he didn't commit adultery. That's amazing. Did you see that? Didn't even do it, right? She didn't lie. I'm amazed by that. He he wasn't impressed with their obedience. He's amazed. He was impressed. He was wowed by their great faith. And mind you, this man probably didn't even worship God. He probably worshiped Zeus He never went to the temple. He couldn't even speak the language. He didn't know the Ten Commandments. But this man had such a deep faith. And he goes, that's what's amazing to me. He he didn't even need me to go see the guy or administer any medicine. He just believed that I could say the word and speak. And that's the kind of faith that amazes Jesus Christ. That's amazing to me, he says. Hebrews 11.1 says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. He goes, this guy just believed it. He said, I think you can heal him. I believe you can heal him even if you don't see him. You just say it. I'm certain of it. I can't see my servant, but I'm sure he will be healed. And he goes, that's the kind of faith I'm looking for. He goes, I don't want you just to memorize the Bible or spend a lot of time in it. Those are good things. But if that's all we ever do in isolation of big faith, then we'll become legalistic and judgmental. And he goes, I want you to have this deep, rising, big, great out-of-the-box, extraordinary, over-the-top faith. That's, I want you to have this kind of confidence in me that I can do anything in your life. And I would love for Jesus to peer across our Israel 
and say, I've not found anyone except that church down there, 37th in El Paso, Colonial Hill Baptist. That church has so much faith. That's what I want them to see in you and your family. So if God is into deep faith, if he's into deep faith, where do we get our depth? Okay, I'm going I'm to just tease the next two weeks. I'm going to tease it. Okay, but I spent a lot of time, so I'm a journalism major. I went to school to be a journalist. And journalists ask questions, and I love to ask good questions. And so I, I ask people questions, and people that I've come across over the last 22 years of doing ministry, 15 of doing church ministry, and I'll ask questions. I'll say, well, tell me about your faith story. Tell me about how you came to faith. Because I'm curious, because I know Jesus is amazed at big faith. How did you start your faith journey? Tell me, well, how, how far have you come? And I keep hearing these same answers. Well, it's this, this really changed. This really grew my faith the most. And there's five things that I keep hearing over and over and over and over. Or there are things that I hear that could be categorized under those five headings. Now, this is not a list that you do. I'll just tell you that up front. It's not even a list that's in the Bible, and I might be wrong. <laughs> just an observation that I've noticed of talking to a lot of people in their faith journeys. I'm like, why do you have big faith? Why has your faith grown? How has your faith grown? And I hear five things over, 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 over. And I want to talk about those five over the next two weeks. I'm going to tease them today. Okay? So the five catalysts for faith. The first is dedicated church attendance. Dedicated church attendance. So not just church attendance. <laughs> if you came on Easter, thank you. Come the week after Easter, and the week after that, and the week after that. Dedicated church attendance. There's something about being in the presence of other believers, hearing the Word of God. The Word of God is living and it's active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it just penetrates. It cuts to the bone and the marrow. Like, I, I need that. I need the breath of God in me. I remember as a youth pastor, I... Uh, I prepared a sermon for like a, a youth group night, like a Wednesday night youth group rally. And I spent about 12 hours working on a 30-minute sermon. And I was really just, I was proud of it. You know, I, it, was, it was my life work for that week. And the next morning, I'm going to throw him under the bus. He's in, he's in the room right now. But I went to Casey Arnold, who's been with me the entire time. And I said, Casey, what did I preach about last night? And he goes, Hang on. And every second that pause, it's like a little dagger to my heart. I'm like, man, I preached it 12 hours ago, bub. And he, you know, he's like, well, he, it was, um, uh, and he finally remembered and he got it out. But every, every second that passed, I'm like, are you kidding me right now? And I went to our pastor, uh, Dr. Tommy Colwell, many of you know and love. And I was just discouraged as a youth pastor. And I said, man, I, I worked all this time on that sermon. And man, Casey Arnold forgot. I mean, of all the people, Casey forgot what I preached. And Tommy taught me a valuable lesson I've never forgotten. And he said, Reed, what did you eat last Thursday night for dinner? I don't know. I don't remember. And he goes, what about Tuesday for lunch? I don't know. What's your point? And he goes, you don't remember, but you ate something, and it nourished you physically for another day. 
And in the same way, people may not remember every single sermon or every single point that you made in those sermons, but it's going to spiritually nourish them through another week. And that was just like a massive revelation for me. There's something about dedicated church attendance and just getting that spiritual nourishment. Yes, yes, yes. I've heard people say, well, you know, I have a relationship with Jesus. I don't go to church. I've just never met a person who was on fire for God and not connected to the body. I've just never met that person. I've never met that person. I think to grow in your faith, you need to grow in your church. And I would say this, listen, I love you enough to say, I don't even care if it's my church. It doesn't have to be Colonial Hill Baptist Church. I care for you enough to say, go find any church. Just get in a church and be active. The second thing that I see as a catalyst for faith is earthly relationships. And again, this is not a list that you can do. Like, you can't just go, hey, I need you to be in a relationship with me because I, I need to grow in my faith. Can't, can't, can't do that. <laughs> I'm sorry, I took them. Nobody's here to laugh. I have to laugh at myself. Okay, so earthly relationships. I love that. So I, I hear people when I'm talking about their faith stories and they say something like, then I met a guy. And then I met this amazing couple who invested into us. There's a lot of these, I believe, they're providential relationships that God ordains. I've always been of the mindset you should have people that are investing in you or discipling you that are stronger spiritually than you are, people that you would consider peers spiritually, and also people that you're discipling, that you're investing into, that you might be a step or two ahead of. And I think having those three types of relationships are really healthy, and you're going to grow in your faith, especially from those who are just a, a little bit ahead of you in the faith game, and at least equal to you, that can spur you on toward love and good deeds. So earthly relationships, finding good earthly relationships. I think about the earthly relationships that have really helped my faith. And this could be a negative, too. I, I can think of some earthly relationships that really hindered my faith also. That's another message for another day, but when I think about every massive regret I've ever had in my life, every massive sin that I've ever done, it was done in the company of other people that I probably shouldn't have been around in that moment. So I think earthly relationships is a big one. The next one is the personal ministry aspect of faith. That's why you hear me talk about go to next steps. We want to get you on the dream team. Because once you make, you're, you're in ministry, you're doing ministry. If I'm just greeting people at the front door on a Sunday morning or I'm in the parking lot or I'm serving kids in Sunday school or whatever that might be, there's something that happens in your faith when you actually help other people with their faith. This is why we're such a big proponent of you going to Brazil. I don't know if the Brazil trip is going to happen this summer. We go every summer. Uh, Lord willing, we can still go. I don't know. But we, we want you to go. It, well, I'm not, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I can share the gospel. We'll prepare you. And I'd say, yes, that's exactly who needs to go. The people who are the least ready because here's what it's going to do. It's going to grow your faith deep. When you just get thrown out there, I don't know what I'm going to say. God will be in control. And then you'll lead someone to Christ, and you'll go, wow, and your faith will just exponentially grow. I remember as a youth pastor, I would say, hey, what was the thing that, that brought you along in your faith the most? And I was hoping they would say, oh, that message you preached last year, God, Pastor Reed, that was the best. That was never what they said. Uh, they would say, when we went to New Orleans, and we built that house with Habitat for Humanity for the people who lost their homes in Katrina. When we went to the Metroplex and we served in that soup kitchen. It's, all, it's like ministry opportunities. It's these mission trips. It's, it's ministry. Personal ministry will grow your faith. I promise. 
The T is timely events. Timely events. And this is one that's kind of unplanned, but this is a church camp growing up. This is a walk to Emmaus. That was a big one for me. This is a, it, it doesn't even have to be a spiritual event. It could be I, I lost a loved one. And their mortality made me start thinking about my own mortality. And I started to grow in my faith with God. Or maybe uh, you had a baby. That's one I hear a lot. Well, we had a baby. What are we going to do with this baby? We need to teach it a bunch of stuff. We should probably teach it about God. You know anything about God? Me neither. Let's go see if somebody can tell us about God. <laughs> they waddle off to church. I, I don't know. There's just, there's just things. Or maybe, maybe when you lose a child. Or if you have trouble conceiving, that can draw you closer together. In those moments, timely events typically will pull you further apart from God or draw you into a deeper faith. And that's what I'm hoping. I want you to grow big faith because of these timely events. And the last one is home disciplines. Notice that the first letter spells depth. That's what we want for your relationships is a depth to your faith. Home disciplines. Nobody likes that word disciplines, by the way. But that just means that I'm, I'm getting in a, in a groove of spending time in the Word, of praying. Maybe somebody's taught you how to fast, those kinds of things where I'm just, you know, I was in the Bible, I was doing it because I was supposed to be doing it. And then it turned into I really want to do it. Like I'm, I'm excited about getting into God's Word and it's speaking to me and I feel like God is just reading my mail right now. Or I'm praying, I was going to start out with just five minutes of prayer in the morning, and I look up, and, and it's been an hour. I, it just, the time flew by. And disciplines, we start disciplines. Nobody likes disciplines, but everything, this is true about all disciplines, is that when you are disciplined, it will lead to growth. Right? If you're disciplined to sit in front of a piano, nobody likes going to piano lessons. But after a while, you really like going to piano lessons because you're disciplined and you're growing in your knowledge of the piano. Nobody likes going to the gym, but if you're disciplined and going to the gym, you'll look like this. I'm just kidding. I don't go to the gym. <laughs> Is that a surprise for anybody? Um, if you're disciplined in whatever that might be, uh, you'll grow. If you'll just get disciplined in spending time with God, spending time in His Word, memorizing it, praying. You know, it's not what God's after. I'm just telling you, he's after big faith, but that's how you can grow some big faith. And we're going to talk about these a little bit more in depth over the next two weeks. But knowing the list is half the battle because as a Christian, as a parent even, I want to put my kids in environments where they're getting dedicated church attendance, where they're in good, godly relationships. JC and I are very particular with who our kids hang out with. They can't hang out with anybody right now. <laughs> it's just online, I guess. But we, we're, we're picky. Why? Because we know that this is a big thing. It's going to grow their faith or it's going to hinder their faith. Get your kids into personal ministry. We do a thing called Serve Day every July. I hope that gets to happen this year. We go all over our city. We paint the city red with these red t-shirts and we serve Snyder like crazy. And I'm excited about that, and I was most excited about the number of kids that participated. Get them involved in personal ministry. Timely events. Hey, you're going to camp. I don't want to go to camp. You're going to camp, and why are you sending them to camp? Why are you forcing them to camp? Because you know it's going to grow their faith. And home disciplines. Hey, we're going to pray every night before we go to bed, kids. Hey, we're going to talk about the Bible around the dinner table. This is what I was reading today. What do you think that means? So knowing this list really, really helps us to grow our kids' faith. I just I want you to have deep faith. 
I want God to be amazed. Why does God want you to have deep faith? Because he knows if you have deep faith, you'll have a stronger relationship, and a stronger relationship leads to gnosko, intimacy and closeness with him. I'm going to show you one more verse. Actually, it's three verses out of Mark 6. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He cannot do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was, look at this, there's the word again, amazed. At their lack of faith. So Jesus, in this, this instance, says, uh, I want to do some stuff. I, 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 I can't even do what I want to do. I can heal a few people, but I can't even do what I want to do because there's such a lack of faith here. And it got me thinking. These are the two instances in the Bible where I see Jesus is amazed at a human being. The first was the centurion in Matthew 8. And he goes, wow, I haven't found anybody in all of Israel that has that kind of faith. And here, he said, I'm amazed they don't have any. And I started thinking, if Jesus were to peer across Snyder, Texas, Austin, Texas, Cardiff, Wales, Jonesboro, Arkansas, wherever you're watching this from, if he was to peer across your city and be amazed, would he be amazed by you? And if so, would he be amazed at your great faith or your lack thereof? Will you hang with me for two more weeks? I want to grow your faith. I want to deepen your faith. If faith is the opposite of fear, by the end of this series, we will indeed have no fear and deep faith. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for all those that are watching today or listening through our podcast. And I know that they want the same thing that I want. They want deep faith. Maybe they didn't know how, what steps they need to take. And I pray that today we've kind of just given them the map. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to give them the turn-by-turn directions. That if we'll be dedicated in church attendance, if we will get into good godly relationships, if we will invest ourselves in doing ministry. We'll just look for those events that we can plug into that might be timely and not run away from you in those moments, but push into you in those moments. And if we'll develop those home disciplines, we will grow deep, deep faith. I just want us to be fully committed to you. Your word says in Chronicles that the eyes of the Lord search throughout the earth to strengthen those hearts who are fully committed to him. God, I want you to strengthen us, strengthen our faith because we're so committed. There's some of you that are watching today that you would say, Reed, I can't have deep faith because I don't have faith. Like I have to have a starting point. And I came into this broadcast and I, I wasn't really there, but I know I need to start a faith relationship with Jesus, and I want to lead you through that today. 
and had 39 people last week went from death to life. You don't have to be in the building. You don't have to have a physical hand on your shoulder praying for you. It can happen right there from the comfort of your couch. So what I'd love to do is I'd love to pray for you. I would love to pray that uh, you would indeed find faith. Scripture says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead, you are saved. So there's a confession that happens, there's a believing that happens, there's a faith that happens. Right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9 said, it's by grace, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. Through faith. This is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. It's not by works. So you can't do enough, you can't serve enough, you can't give enough, you can't attend enough can't have home disciplines enough. You can't personal ministry enough. It's not by work so no one can boast. It's only by faith and faith alone. So it starts here and it's grown with those things. Does that make sense? So I'd love to walk you through that prayer. It's not a magical prayer. Just pray this with me right there where you're at. Pray it with me. Confess it with your mouth. Believe it in your heart. And I'm telling you, you will be saved today. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I believe I have faith, I trust, I have confidence in the fact that you went to the cross for my sins. A sinless man dying in my place. I believe you died, but as we celebrated last Sunday, you beat the grave. And there's a day coming where you're going to allow me to beat the grave. Because today... I put my faith in you. I don't fully understand everything, but I know enough that I'm ready to trust the giver of life with my life. So come into my life. Lead me. Be the Lord of it from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, would you do me one favor? I would love to know because I have some resources I want to send you in the mail. And those of you that texted B last week and a lot of you sent me your address, I'd love for you to send me your address as well. I have some resources. They're free. I'm not going to bother you or burden you. I I just genuinely want to help you. Um, So you can text the word SAVED to 325-221-3001. I'll leave that on the screen for a moment. But just text that one word, SAVED. It's going to send you a text back asking for some very limited information and then we'll follow up with you. But we would just love to know if that's a decision you made today. And again, that's not for us to put a notch on our belt. That's not what it's about. It's all about helping you take your next steps in faith. We want to deepen your faith. So we're going to give you some tools to pull that off. Hey, I love you. I want you to know that I'm praying for you. Um, I'm trying to work through. Uh, we got a lot of people in our church, but I'm trying to work through the phone book and call as many of you as I can just to say I love you I'm praying for you is there anything I can do to counsel you or pray for you like I I genuinely do care about you I hope you know that I do and I cannot wait for the next couple of weeks we're going to deepen our faith church amen amen God bless you and we'll see you next Sunday